Turn to Genesis chapter 49. We are going to transgress to the far side this morning. The underworld. Look at verse 29, please. Then he commanded them and said to them, verse 29 of chapter 49 of the book of Genesis. Then referring he to Jacob, to them are his sons, in particular, Joseph. Then Jacob commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Does the Nazbe say fathers? Dr. Boyd, does the Nazbe say fathers? Fathers, right? Yep. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field. Verse 30. In the cave that is in the field by Machpelah. He gives a direction east of Mari in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from the Ephraim, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. It's ours. We own it. Then Jacob finished commanding his sons, drew his feet into his bed, breathed his last, and notice again, and was gathered to his fathers, his people. In 28, 29, he's gathered to his people. In 33, he's gathered to his people. Clearly, this is the dominant thought of this pericope from 29 to 33. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to get the most out of the Word of God, all that's there, every nugget. We want to see you, O God, cross the T's, and we want every jot, every tittle. We want it all, Lord. We want everything that your Word has to offer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you right up front the direction where we're going, and I've got a chart here that I put on Facebook, I think late last night, this morning. On the left-hand side, uh, Bill, is a globe. It's the earth. and has the word life on this earth. Then there is a, a vertical box that says your body is in the grave. Top above that is a blue box that says your soul is with the Lord in heaven waiting for the resurrection. Or the red box is your soul is in Hades waiting for the resurrection. In either case... It's waiting for the resurrection. Hades or with the Lord. There's an orange box that says parousia, the parousia, the second coming, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust, there's an open tomb right there. And then there's a picture of the judgment of the sheep and the goats at the bottom. For we understand that when the Lord Jesus resurrects the dead in Christ and the unjust, that they will be given bodies and they will be judged according to the life that they lived on this earth. They'll be judged out of the books is what Revelation says. And then again, the chart divides in the top right hand is a picture of a new heaven, a new earth. Obviously, I don't have that picture since it hasn't happened, but that's the idea. 
And we're talking about entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, in the new heaven and new earth. And oh God, that's what we long for. Uh, our, Our Lord's Supper tonight will say, come Lord Jesus. It'll say, come quickly. And then in the lower right-hand corner, the worst box of all is the second death. It's hell. It's the eternity in the lake of fire. And the purpose of this chart is to create for you a visual of what happens to you this morning. You yourself, living on this earth, breathing your very last breath. Your body is now placed in a casket. It's buried underneath the ground. It's cremated and your soul goes somewhere. It either goes to be with the Lord or it goes to Hades to wait for the final judgment. And then at that judgment, if you're in Hades, you will experience the second death. And if your soul is in heaven, you'll receive a spiritual body, a glorified body, and you'll be given, as Peter says, entrance into the eternal kingdom. And for those of you that believe that there is a millennial kingdom coming, I have a second slide, and that's where you would insert it right there. I have that narrow white 1,000. And the reason I have it narrow is because in light of eternity, 1,000 is a very short period of time. You know, it's not a long time in light of eternity. I mean, 1,000 thousands is a million, and that's not a billion, and that's not a trillion, and that's not infinite. All right? So in either case, the reason I wanted to put that in there is to make sure that we all agree here this morning that with or without the eternal kingdom, the the millennial kingdom, we're going to the same destiny. It's a very small issue in light of everything on the global map from Scripture. So your Bible's full of all kinds of words that describe the afterlife, like Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tardis, the abyss, hell, the lake of fire, heaven, paradise, third heaven, new heavens, new earth. And you yourself this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a student of the word of God, you should write these words down and say, do I know all of them? Do I know how they're being used in the Bible? Now the words in blue, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, Tartarus, and the abyss are what we call transliterations. All right, what's a transliteration? It's when you as a translator have no idea what to do. There's not an equivalent English word. You're like, I don't know what to do with this word. So you know what you do? You move it from whatever character, whatever it sounds like, either in Hebrew or Greek, and you match it to English words so that it sounds similar. And I'll show you that in just a minute. But that's what Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, that's what these words are. Baptized in your Bible is a transliteration. It's a transliteration. That's what it is. And, and you'll, by the way, you, you do this yourself. You'll hear someone speaking in a foreign language, speaking, and then they'll get a hit an English word. Why do they do that? Because they have no equivalent. They have no idea what to do. So they plug in the English word. That's the same concept here. Same, similar concept. All right, so let's get into our text now. Verse 29. Then he commanded them and said, I am to be gathered to my people. Here he is. I'm to be gathered to the fathers, to my fathers. Bury me, bury me in this cave. And he articulates the cave. So if you study this idea of is gathered to his people, what is going on here, you'll find notes all over the place that say this is a euphemism. You know what a euphemism is? That's a kind way of saying something. You know, that's, 
You don't say, he croaked, all right? That's not a great way of describing, you know, losing your dad, you know? You, you might not want to use that language at a funeral. So you'll say, he passed away. It's a real kind way of saying it, right? So is gathered to my people a euphemism? Well, I would say unequivocally no, and I want to prove that point to you this morning. I want to ask the question, does the Old Testament point to, hint at, and give evidence of the same theology concerning the intermediate state and the resurrection that the New Testament teaches? That's our focus. In other words, that's why I showed you that chart in the very beginning. Can we, can we see that framework in the Old Testament? Can we see that framework in the Old Testament? Verse 30, we get all the instructions as to where the cave is. Joseph needs all this information to make sure that there's no doubt who owns this. He needs to know that it came from the Hittite here. We own it. It's our property. Granddaddy's already paid for it. We've got the title. We've got the deed. When you get there, there shouldn't be any problems. That's the general idea. That's where Abraham, Sarah, that's where Isaac, that's where Rebecca, that's where Leah was buried. Rachel would have been buried there if she hadn't died in route. That's where our family's buried. That's the general idea here. So I want to ask you this morning, real practically, recognizing that you too are going to die. I mean, it's inevitable. Unless the Lord comes back in your lifetime, you're going to croak. I mean, you're going to breathe your last breath. That's the reality. So have you done any preparation? Have you communicated anything? Because I will tell you right now, what I find is no preparations done whatsoever. And, and, and mom and dad, they just saddled on the oldest. I mean, they just literally dump it on their laps. They don't communicate their desires. They don't communicate anything with regard to where they want to be buried, how they want to be buried. Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? Hey, you're looking at no less than 10 grand. No less than $10,000. Get your credit card out, all right? And you need to make sure you have a big limit. Now, I know this sounds harsh, and you're certainly not expecting this on a Sunday morning sermon, but this is a pretty good excuse to talk about what I see all the time. All the time. Which is no preparations done whatsoever. They die. And now the children rally around and say, now what are we supposed to do? Who's going to pay for this? And, and it's so rare that anyone has their ducks in order. Obviously, Jacob has his ducks in order. He's giving all the instructions to the sons. This is where I want to go. This is how it's going to be. And by the way, the next chapter, you'll see Joseph just doing it. I mean, the whole thing. Chapter 50 is him unpacking all that. And he does it well. So what are we to make of all this concern and preparation for death? It seems to me that previous generations understood that death was a reality and they prepared for it. Today, we just stick our head in the sand and pretend like we're never going to die. In fact, even to think about it is wrong. We just, we just don't want to even prepare for it. We don't want to think about it. And then it just happens and we're stuck. That is, the living are stuck with dealing with the dead. I just want to encourage you this morning. Write some notes down. Write some notes. Put it in your Bible. Do you have a favorite song that you'd like sung? Do you have a Bible verse that you'd like to be read? Do you have a desire for someone to preach your funeral? What are your pre preferences? 
I know that every son or daughter in this room would love to pick up, I'm looking for my Bible, would love to pick up your father's Bible, your mother's Bible, turn to the back of it and go, wow, there's some guidance here. I don't have to navigate through uncharted waters. I've got some map here. This is what mama wants. This is what daddy wants. So now verse 33, and was gathered to his people. This is where our focus is. Not that we're we're done with the practical ideas of your physical death. We're done with that. I want to unpack what does he mean here with this gathered to his fathers? Because 29 had it. 33 had it. It's repeated. Notice Jacob was gathered to his people before he was buried. Okay, he draws up his legs into bed. And the text says, and was gathered to his people. He is According to the biblical narrative, 70 days away from the burial. 70 days. It's going to take 40 more days and 30 days before they make the road trip up to the cave where they actually have the burial, the entombment. And yet already he's gathered to his people. This can't be a euphemism. This can't be a euphemism. We... Bible-believing Christians, we believe in two deaths. The reason we believe in two deaths is because Scripture teaches us two deaths. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it's called the second death. The only reason you have a second is because there is a first. Right, there's a first. So in the first death, the soul is separated from the body. It's separated. There is a separation that occurs. When Jacob breathed his, drew his leg in the bread, breathed his last breath, At that moment, there was a separation between his soul and his body. His soul was gathered to his people and his body remained on this earth. His body was delivered to a cave. And during that process, he'd already been with his people for 70 days. Now, there's a second death. And you really need to be concerned about the second death. This is something that ought to rock the very fiber of your being. Because in the second death, instead of the soul being separated, the soul is actually united to the body. And then that union is sent to Gehenna, the lake of fire. And that's where you spend eternity. The biblical text is overwhelming. Revelation 2, Revelation 20, Revelation 20, 14, Revelation 21, 8. Revelation 20, 14 says, and death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 8 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, those without faith in Christ, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in a lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, let's just be clear. There are only two scenarios. This is the word of God or this isn't the word of God. That's the only two possibilities. And if this is the word of God, then there is a second death and you shouldn't do anything until you get this straight with the Lord. This should be your number one priority. Number one, is there a God? Is his son Jesus Christ? 
Did he die on a cross for my sins? Have I put my faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins? Am I trusting in him for my salvation or not? If the answer is or not, then the inevitable destination for you is the second death or God is a liar. Now that's it. And I'm not talking to you as a Baptist. I'm talking to you as a Bible-believing preacher. This is not Baptist doctrine. This is Bible, pure Bible. So I want to focus on gather to his people. What's going on here? What is this language, gathered to his people? Abraham was gathered to his people. Ishmael was gathered to his people. Isaac was gathered to his people. But where? Where'd they go? Can we drive there? Can we find GPS coordinates? Can we ask Google? Hey, Siri. You know, where? Turn to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, so you know if we're going to Deuteronomy, we're doing something with Moses, right? And I told you we were going to the far side. I told you that. We were going to the far side. You were wondering what he meant by the far side. Some of you can remember those comics on the far side. They always dealt with the bizarre. Genesis 32 Verse 48, that very day, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh spoke to Moses. This is, this is Yahweh. This is Yahweh, creator God, telling Moses, go up to this mountain, go up to this mountain, and in verse 50, this is where you're going to die, plain and simple, and die on the mountain. Now, that's what your Bible says. Die on the mountain. And be gathered to your fathers. And be gathered to your people. So Abraham was gathered to his fathers. Isaac was gathered to his fathers. Jacob was gathered to his fathers. And now Moses is being gathered to his people. Moses is being gathered. And your brother and he, Aaron, was also gathered to his people. Say, Pastor Sean, isn't this talking about a big family cemetery? You know, one of those ones on the side of the road with First Baptist, and they're all out there, kinfolk are all out there. Well, there's a problem with that. And it's found in Jude 9. So turn to Jude 9. Go ahead, you've got to get there. Go ahead and turn there. Don't wait for the slide to come up. You do the physical work of getting to Jude 9, so that you can see it in your own Bible. There is great benefit to looking at Scripture in your own Bible. It helps you remember, where was that again? Okay, you're struggling at finding it. Get to Revelation and move backwards. Now, you talk about far side. Okay. Jude 9 has far side. It says that the angel, the archangel in verse number 9, there's only one chapter. The archangel Michael was contending for the what? The body. Not the soul. Not the soul. 
He wants the physical body. I told you, I told you, Farside has nothing on this, okay? You have the devil has got his feet and the archangel Michael's got his arms and they're disputing for the body. Now, I think the scripture doesn't say this, but I think that the devil wanted to use the body as a source of idolatry, that the Israelites were prone to worship everything other than the true living God. If they'll worship a golden calf, imagine what they'll do with Moses. And I believe that God in his providence said, my people are not going to worship Moses. And he sent an archangel, Michael. And they were disputing about the body. Now, now why are you bringing this up? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that Moses was not buried in the family cemetery. Now, there are only a couple scenarios. Number one, God took the body off the planet. Or God put the body in such a location that it would never be found again. That's it. Because you don't send an archangel for a body to fight over it only to put it in the family cemetery next to granddad. That's not why you do that. Now, my point is that Moses was gathered to his people and it's not talking about where he was buried. So everyone needs to nail down right now that gather to your people, gather to your father means something more than where was the body laid in the ground. Means much more than that. And by the way, we have the same scenario with David. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. So he's, he's buried in the city of David. Okay, that's not where everyone else is buried. Abraham was not buried there. Isaac was not buried there. Moses was not buried there. And yet he, he slept with his fathers. So this is not talking about burial. Manasseh the same way in 2 Kings 21, 2 Kings 22 Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back to the word to the king. So now turn to Genesis chapter 37. Turn back to Genesis 37. Sure is good to have Daniel and Sarah with us this morning. I can't wait till you're no longer a guest. Man, I long for that. Come quickly. Genesis 37. I do take note that DJ doesn't sit with you anymore. (laughs) Guess he's found a pew buddy or something. Did I hear it? I heard the M word on that side over there. Someone blurted out something over there. All right. Genesis 37, verse 5. You remember this. You remember the context. This is when they found out that Joseph was supposed to be dead. You remember they sold him to slavery and with the Amidonite traders, kidnapping, human trafficking. And then they took his coat of many colors, his long sleeve robe, and they slaughtered a goat and they poured blood on it. They dipped it in blood and they brought it to dad and said, man, whose robe is this? He says, my son's robe. Verse 33, it looks like a fierce animal has devoured him. Verse 34, he's tearing his garments apart. He's putting sackcloth on himself. Verse 35, he says, no. What's he saying no to? They're trying to comfort him. And he says, no. No, I will not be comforted. You'll recall he lost Rachel. Now he's losing the firstborn son from the love of his life, Rachel, who's Joseph, his favorite son. 
And they're trying to comfort him. And he says, no, I shall go down to Sheol. Sheol? Your Bible, your Bible might say grave. That's unfortunate because the translation should not be grave. The reason the translation should not be grave is because the Hebrew word is not the word for tomb. It's, we've already got a different word for that. And this is the word Sheol. So wait a minute, is he gathered to his people or is he going down to Sheol? Which is it? I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So what is going on here? Again, this is a transliteration. If you click on this little button right here on Blue Litter Bible, you'll learn how to pronounce something. I do it 15 times and still can't remember how to do it when I get up to the, it's like stage fright, you know, scared to death up here and I freeze and can't remember how to pronounce something. Y'all sit out there and mock, especially Darren, he does it often. He'll pronounce it as quietly under his breath just to kind of say, this is how you pronounce it, this is how you pronounce it. I hear it, I can hear it, I, I know he's doing it, right? I'd like to put him up there and let me sit over there in the corner and mock him, yeah. But I love him to death, we are just the best of friends, yeah, sorta, yeah. <laughs> Sheol. Strong's and Gordon says it's the underworld. The underworld, boys. It's where you go when you die. It's the underworld. You mean I don't just cease to exist? No. You have a spirit. You have a soul. You're an image bearer of God. God has bound up eternity in your heart. You're not a cockroach that ceases to exist when it gets snuffed out. You're a human being. You know that. You know in yourself that there's something more. You know that you're not just another monkey that gets eliminated. You are a human being made in God's image. You have a soul. You have a spirit within you. And Sheol describes the place where you go. In the Septuagint, remember the Septuagint, LXX70, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's what the Jews would have read in the time of Christ. They were... Greek-speaking, reading Jews. We have the word Hades right here. Instead of Sheol, it says Hades right here. The word Hades. So Hades and Sheol can be used interchangeably at this time. So how do we reconcile, gather to my fathers, and I shall go down to Hades? I shall go down to Hades. What's going on here? We'll turn over to Mark. Turn over to Mark. It says back because I was going to go to Luke first, um, but I want to do Mark and then Luke. So first we're going to go to Mark. Mark 12. <clears throat> and this is found in Matthew as well, but the Mark rendition provides a little bit more details. Mark 12. Now you recall that this is the argument that Jesus is having over the resurrection with the Sadducees. They are the uh, political leaders of the days, religious slash political leaders of the day that's described that only the Torah was, in fact, uh, Scripture, only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And they have this issue with there is no resurrection. They're having this conversation with Jesus about if you're married and married and married, married and you finally got resurrected, which wife, first, second, third. And he, and he just rudely kind of just engages them. And Jesus said to them, is, is this not the reason you are wrong? Well, what was the reason? And he gives them two, two reasons. 
Because, number one, you don't know the Bible. You don't know the Tanakh. You don't know the scriptures. You think you know it, but you actually don't know what's in the book. And number two, you don't know the power of God. So number one, if you knew what the Bible said, and number two, if you knew of God's power, you wouldn't come to the conclusions you come to. And that is so true of today. That is absolutely so true of today. The power of God to change lives. The power of God to save souls. The power of God to heal people. Mike Bors shared with us a friend that he worked with previously had a massive heart attack. A young guy, less than 50 years old, a young guy. And, and we thought he was dead. He'd been on the ventilators, the whole thing. Just gone. He's up and talking. They said at the hospital, people were coming by the room just to see the miracle. People who didn't even take care of him were stopping by to stick their head in to see if what they heard was true. That Russ was back to talking, breathing, living. They thought he was done. They were getting ready to have those hard conversations you have with someone about how long are we to keep them on life support. And I'm telling you right now, the church has forgotten the power of God. The power of God to hear prayers. The power of God to answer prayers. The power of God to save souls. The power of God to change lives. The power of God to bring repentance. The power of God to bring revival. The power of God to do a work. But the church is also wickedly ignorant of Scripture. Wickedly ignorant. Verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels. By the way, it doesn't say they lose their gender. It only says that they're not married. You can't read into text what it doesn't say. And as for the dead, and as for the dead being raised, since you're struggling with there is no resurrection, in verse 18, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Talking about Exodus giving Moses the authorship of Exodus. In the passage about the bush, talking about Exodus 3, the burning bush, how that God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. You mean the Jacob we're talking about having been gathered as people? The answer is yes. And then underline in your Bible right now, underline in your Bible verse 27, he is not the God of the dead. He's not the God of the dead. But instead, he's the God of the living. And so as to add emphasis, he says, you are quite wrong. And that's kind of in your face. So he started with an engagement about how wrong they were. And then he reminded them at the end how wrong they were. Obviously, this is important to him. So what are you saying here? I'm saying that when Jacob was gathered to his people, he was still alive. Where was he? Well, he was in Sheol. That's what he said. I go down to Sheol. And in Sheol, he was alive. Sheol, yes, that's what it says, Sheol. So now turn over to Luke chapter 16. And I believe that Jesus is giving us some insight into Sheol. Or Hades before the cross. Turn over to Luke 16. And by the way, this is the minority opinion. This is by far the minority opinion. I'm well aware of that. 
And what you will find in the majority opinion is a denial of the power of God. Anything that seems outrageous, anything that requires faith to believe in, anything that seems to suggest other than the norm is minimized. We're doing everything we can to make this thing as palatable as we can for the unbeliever. How unfortunate. How unfortunate. Why don't we just preach what the book says? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. We all want to be the rich man. We all want to feast in sumptuously in purple and fine linen. The Bible says in verse 20, and on contrast, there was a poor man. His name was Lazarus. He was covered with sores, and every day they would lay him at the gate where he would beg for food, alms. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That creates a mental image for you, doesn't it? The Jews believed without a doubt that the poor man was poor and sick because of sin, and the rich man was rich and well because he was righteous. And Jesus is going to turn the tables on them like they've never seen before when he tells them that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Father Abraham's bosom. If you look at your ESV, there's a little note right there, number two. And it says, Greek bosom. The side of bosom of Abraham. Now, can you imagine a Jew hearing that the poor man has been carried by the angels to sit next to Abraham? Everybody wanted to sit next to Abraham. They were jockeying for spots at the table next to Abraham. If they couldn't get Abraham, they wanted Isaac. If they couldn't get Isaac, they wanted Jacob. But they wanted to be in the inner circle, and the poor man is there. Now, what about the rich man? What about the rich man then? The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, verse 23, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. So this is completely turning upside down every single thing that a pharisaical Jew understood. The poor man is at Abraham's side and the rich man is in Hades in torment. The rich man looks over and sees the poor man named Lazarus. And he called out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, child, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things. And Lazarus in like manner the bad things. But now he is comforted and here you are in anguish in verse number 24 anguish in this flame in verse number 25 anguish and then as though to make it abundantly clear in verse 26 he says and beside all this between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed fixed by the sovereignty of God in order that those who would pass from here may not be able and none may cross from us to you even if we could we couldn't So then he says, I beg you, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of, now it's being described as torment, 
Torment in verse 28. Anguish in verse 25. Anguish. Anguish in verse 24. You don't want to go to Hades. Where do you want to go then? You want to be on Abraham's side. You want to be in Abraham's bosom. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, what's in this book should be converting your soul. What's in this biblical text should be converting you. When you hear this word read and preached, it ought to be piercing your heart, dividing it to the point of repentance. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses, if they do not hear Isaiah, if they don't hear Ezekiel, if they don't hear Jonah, if they don't hear the prophets, neither will they be convinced if Jesus Christ should rise from the dead. You see it? So what did we learn from this passage? What did we get out of this passage? Why did we turn here? What should I learn? You should learn that in the time of Jesus saying this, that there was in Hades, Sheol, two sides. On the one side was Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. And the other side was a side of torment, anguish, flames. And Bill, I have a blue triangle for Abraham's side. And Bill, I have a red triangle for the torment of hell. Red, torment of hell. And then between that, there's a great chasm. By the way, this is not purgatory. And the text went out of its way to say that when you land on this side, you can't get to the other side. They can't pray you out. They can't baptize you out. There's no amount of alms that can be given to St. Peter's Basilica to move you from one side to the other. Why Abraham? Why Abraham's side? I believe that it's Abraham and not Adam and it's not Noah. And I'm just not saying they're not there. I'm just saying, why did we call out Abraham? Why didn't we say Noah's side? Why didn't we say Moses' side? Why is it Abraham's side? Well, the Bible tells us. Romans 4, 11 says, he, referring to Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. That while he was still uncircumcised, he was uncircumcised, he'd already received this seal of righteousness. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's why Abraham is chosen here. Because he's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised at this point. And by faith, he's been declared what? Righteous. By the way, this is Genesis 15, 6 for you. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And that's why Abraham, this is Abraham's side. This is not the side of law keepers, like the Mosaic law. This is the side of all who have put their faith in the promises of God, starting with Adam, Noah, Moses, I mean, Noah and his three sons, etc. So did the Old Testament saints have hope that humans could go to heaven? Yes, absolutely. Think Enoch, think Elijah. In Psalm 4915, amongst many others, the psalmist says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. God will ransom my soul from, they knew that they were going to Sheol, but in Sheol, they still had faith 
that Yahweh was going to ransom their soul from Sheol. The place of the dead was not their eternal destination. They had hope in a God that could rescue them from the power of Sheol. Consider Hosea 13, 14, where Yahweh says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Death and Sheol are often paired up, both of them personified, described as gatekeepers to Sheol. Here's death standing right here at attention. Here's Sheol standing right next to them, guarding the way into Sheol, Hades, gatekeepers. If you search death and Sheol together, you'll find at least 14 references where they're paired up as couplets. Two guards of the same place. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live. Your bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. This is the resurrection of the righteous who will worship the Lamb. Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Incredibly prophetic. Daniel 12, 2, many of those who sleep in the dust and on the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. My dear friend this morning, guess Visitors with us, every single person here. Life contempt, life contempt, life contempt. Which is it for you? Which is it for you? Which is it for you? Put it down on your white card. Give me contempt. Contempt. No. No. You want the resurrection of everlasting life. Do we have any precedent for this? Yes, we do. In Matthew 27, there is a record of the tombs being opened. This is during Jesus's, this is the weekend of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible says, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you just imagine this? I mean, this is like uber far side. I'm not kidding. Three weeks ago, you put Aunt Aunt Sally in the grave and she knocks on the front door. And you're like, who is it? Aunt Sally. (laughs) Seriously. Look for me, church. Either the Bible's the word of God or it's not. I don't pick and choose what verses make sense to me and what's palatable to me or not. It says it and I believe it. I don't have to explain it to you. What about now? Who goes to Hades now? I want to connect a couple verses with you. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, you are Petra. And on this Petra, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates. And it's unfortunate that ESV chose to use hell because the Greek is Hades. And I do not understand why they got it right over here with Revelation 1.18 and didn't choose to make the parallel. 
Because you're, you lose something here, and we don't want to lose stuff. We want to make connections. He's not talking about the hell of Gehenna here. He's talking about the place of Sheol right here. And he says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this is so important for you to get. I want you to create a visual image in your mind. And I want you to see huge gates, giant gates. And I want you to put the doorkeeper of death. And I want you to put the doorkeeper of Hades right here. And Jesus Christ is saying, I am going to build an ecclesia, a called out assembly of people. And those people will never, ever, ever see Sheol. They will never see Hades. Death has no power over them. Hades has no power over them. You're not going to Sheol. You're not going to Hades. For you, brother, and for you, brother, and for you, sister, and for you, my dear sister, if you're in Christ Jesus, you go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Directly. You go there. For you, absent from the body, is present with your Savior. You don't go to Sheol. You don't go to Hades. Jesus Christ said he's going to build an ecclesia, a called out assembly of people, and he said to them that Hades will not prevail over this assembly. In other words, death, you have no power. Hades, you have no power over my people. And I believe the parallel is incredible. When he says in Revelation 118, I am the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And you know what keys I have? I have the keys. So we could put death back up here and if we could put Hades back over here and the victor from the cross walks up to them and says, turn them over. And they reach in their pockets and they turn the key over to Jesus. Now, I don't believe there was a literal key. I believe it's incredible symbolic imagery for us. When you go sign for a house, raise your hand if you signed for a house before. You signed for a house, raise your hand. What's the end? What do you want? You're signing, signing, signing. What do you want? Come on, what do you want? You want the what? The keys. Because what do the keys represent? Ownership. Death has no power over you. Hades has no power over you. Turn over Revelation 20. Turn over Revelation 20 real quick. I got time for one, two more scriptures. Turn over Revelation 20. That's what you want. You want the Bible, right? Let me show you the end. Let me show you the end. Let's get excited about the end. Turn to Revelation 20 and go to the end of the chapter. So in the beginning of the book, he gets the keys. Do you see that? In the beginning of the book, he gets the keys. And what happens at the end of the book? In the end of the book, it says that then in verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So first he gets the keys. I'll take that one. Yes, sir, give me that one. They're mine. Christ the victor secures the keys. And then at the end, Karen, death is thrown in the lake of fire. Hades is thrown in the lake of fire. Gone, utterly destroyed, eliminated, finished. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15, the death of death. The death of death. All right, one last question and we're done. All right. What about all those that were in Sheol? You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What about all those that were in Sheol? 
Because he says that from the moment of that resurrection, nobody else is going there. If you're in the church, you're not going. But what about them? Now, it's okay if you disagree with me, all right? We've been on the far side all morning, so let's just take another just giant step on the far side. This is what I believe, and you don't have to believe this. This is what I believe, and I'll, I'll show you the scripture that I want you to see. And you don't have to believe this, but I, this is what I believe. I believe they got the keys. Give me the keys. Open the gates. All right, King Jesus, open the gates. Bam, they swing out. He looks over there on the side of torment, turns to his right right there, and he sees Abraham, and he says, follow me. And I believe that he emptied Sheol that day. Abraham's bosom was emptied. I believe that Abraham and all the saints followed Jesus into the heavens. Now look, listen to me very clearly. Whether you agree with it happening then or how it happened, it has to happen. And the reason it has to happen is because the scripture says that Hades was thrown in the lake of fire. So you have to empty Hades of the righteous before you throw it into the lake of fire. And so I believe that he emptied Hades. I think it was a parade like you've never seen before. You talk about a ticker tape day parade. It was a parade of every single soul that had ever died in Christ prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. All the saints who had put their faith in the promises of God saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. They saw the pierced side. They saw the nail-scarred highs. It just became crystal clear to them. They saw their Messiah. They saw their Savior. They saw their Lord. And he said to them, and I don't know this, but I'm just imagining because I think it's fun to imagine. Follow me. And he literally led them from the place of the dead to paradise. And you know who was on his side? The thief on the cross. Because you know what he said to him? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So hold on. We're going to take a little sidebar trip. You can just imagine. We're going to get there. We're just give me a minute. We got to go to Sheol first. And from Sheol, we're going to paradise. I think it would have been amazing. Father God in heaven, I just pray that you would just give us a passion for your word. And if there's even one person here that's not saved, I pray they'd surrender to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.